Good morning, friends. Happy Independence Day. Anybody feel like saluting? Is it? Yeah? Maybe a few of you guys? There's old glory. I, I like this picture because, I don't know, um, some of you probably remember this when this first made the rounds, but, the, you know, you got the cross kind of coming through the blue field there because the sunlight was behind it. And um, you, may, you may remember when this picture went viral. Uh, it was about two decades ago, actually, because the flag in the picture uh, was flying on a crane, and it was over the devastation, the debris of the Twin Towers. You guys remember this? When this first came through? Uh, and, and pictures like this one stand out to me, and, and I have a lot of emotions that tend to surface uh, when I see things like this. And, and there's, there's, there really is there's something beautiful about the flag. There just is. There's something beautiful about the flag of the United States of America. And this is probably the most common sight you're going to see today as you're driving around. Uh, you're going to see people with, with flags displayed. Um, but, you know, people like to, they like to show their patriotism by, you know, displaying the, the colors, whatever, whether it's Memorial Day, Veterans Day, uh, Independence Day. It's interesting to me, though, that, that most, most of us, most, <laughs> most of us refer to, I don't know where that came from, um, most, <laughs> most of us refer to this as the 4th of July, right? We just call it the 4th of July, or we call it July 4th. We don't call it Independence Day, which is its official name, right? On July 4th, 1776, our founding fathers signed a document known as the Declaration, Declaration of Independence, which officially stated our nation's independence from who? Great Britain, okay? And so, so every July 4th, we as a nation celebrate Independence Day, or as I've heard the Brits call it, Ungrateful Colonist Day. Um, <laughs> it's, it's the date that we recognized our sovereignty as a nation with our own government, free from what we perceive to be the, the tyranny of our parent country, which again was England. And, and it includes, the declaration includes a truly wonderful phrase, even though we didn't really practice it for at least another century, that all men are created equal and have been given unalienable rights by the creator, some say unalienable rights, by the creator. In other words, every human being has equal value in the eyes of God. And each person has intrinsic rights, according to this document, that can't be arbitrarily taken away by men. And the three specific rights that are mentioned, anybody? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It was originally going to be life, liberty, and property. Did you know that? And somebody changed it to the pursuit of happiness. Then, uh, kind of wish they'd left it the way it, they originally did. It would have saved us a little bit of the trouble now. Anyway, um, but then a couple of years later, our country entered a terrible war for refusing to recant on that declaration. And so, so five bloody years later, America became victorious in winning her freedom. And then three years after that, the individual states came together to write the Constitution of the United States, which was, it was game-changing as a founding document. It probably contains... The architecture of what I, I believe is, is still the best form of government that man has ever devised. And as our nation has continued to evolve, uh, we've added more amendments to the original Constitution, allowing for, for better treatment of people. And, you know, without taking anything substantial from its original content. Now, despite what certain folks would claim, the founding fathers of this nation who signed these documents were nearly all professing Christians. There are a few deists in there, but mostly Christians. And their basis for believing as they did, and their, their basis for creating a, a federal republic 
was their understanding of Christian ethics as they are containing God's word. And their desire was that the United States of America would be a haven for anyone who wanted to live truly free to worship God as they wished, with, with a minimum of interference from the government, okay, government intrusion, and for people to work hard and to chase opportunity and raise their families as they see fit. Of course, America has never been perfect. Just want to point that out. Never, as anybody who's ever stu studied slavery knows, okay, but this nation, which did at one time engage in the, the evil, brutal practice of chattel slavery, we also fought a war with ourselves to free those slaves. And though far from perfect, there is still a lot of good in the history of the USA. And there, there may still be some good in our future, despite the direction things seem to be going. Uh, however, you may have noticed that the idea of freedom in our country has undergone a paradigm shift. And for many, it's not about freedom of speech anymore, or worship, or self-defense. Now, now it's about freedom from speech that offends. Freedom from a deity that holds us accountable. Freedom from biology, so we can self-identify as, as whatever we want, something that we're not. However, freedom has also become something that some treat as an idol. Because for them, freedom means doing whatever they want to do when they want to do it, rather than practicing self-control or considering the needs of other people. And these, these misuses of freedom have derailed the moral culture of this nation and caused some really sharp distinctions to be drawn. But see, the thing is, real freedom, biblical freedom, is a good thing. So what if we allowed the Bible, novel concept, right? What if we allowed the Bible to help us understand what freedom really is and what it really looks like? So let me ask you this, church. Does God's word guarantee us life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? How about that? It doesn't. Not in the same way that we normally think of those things. While America's founding documents tell us what we have freedom of, you know, assembly and press and all these things, the Bible tells us what we have freedom from and freedom in and freedom to. So I'd like to encourage you today to take a journey with me through. There's a few places in the New Testament where we can, where we can learn about the true nature of freedom. So we're, we're taking a little break from Acts today. We will come back to it next week if the Lord tarry. You know. But um, let's pray. Let's pray real quick. God, I, I just ask in Jesus' name, as I always ask, Father, that, that each person here will be good soil so that the, the word planted will take root and bear fruit. And God, we have such a, a misunderstanding sometimes of where our loyalties and our allegiance should be. And Father, we, we have a misunderstanding of what true freedom is. And Father, I pray that today we leave here with a correct understanding. I pray that we leave here knowing that it's okay to, uh, to, to, to salute your flag and, and to, to be thankful for your country. But far more importantly, we have an allegiance to you. And we have freedom that you give. And I pray, God, that we'll understand that.
and that we won't treat freedom as an idol, but that we will recognize it for what it is and we'll be grateful to you for the incredible freedom that you, that you bless us with. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's take a look at our own idea of freedom, okay? So we have something to compare and contrast with what the Bible says. As Americans, we put a lot of stock in our personal, you know, our personal freedom, right? Like our individual freedoms, our, our rights, don't we? Right? I'm not getting a lot of agreement. <laughs> yes, we do. We do, okay? We tend to think of ourselves as truly free whenever we get to do what we want. And our idea of freedom, I think sometimes if we really boiled it down, would be unlimited me time without any constraints. That's unrealistic, and it's not just unrealistic. It is sinful. That's sinful, okay? The idea of freedom in Scripture is very, very different. What we think of sometimes, especially in our American culture, what we think of as freedom is different from God's idea of freedom as revealed in his word. And if our, if our idea is different from God's, who's right? Thank you for answering. Of course God is right. Let God be true and every man a what? A liar, scripture says. So, so to understand freedom from a biblical perspective, first, let's look at what we as believers have freedom from. Now, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert, okay? Because the answer, believe it or not, isn't the government. We don't get to have freedom from laws, as inane as they may sometimes be, okay? The answer is also not that we have freedom from temptation or freedom from struggles. The Bible is very clear that troubles are a consistent part of this life. Struggling is endemic to the human condition, and it's going to be even different in some ways for Christians. And of course, since God has, he has standards of righteousness, of right and wrong, and he demands holiness from his people, we're not free from morality or for consequences, despite what some of the liberal denominations say. So what do Christians get to have freedom from. There are at least two categories here. Okay, One hint uh, we find in Paul's letter to the Galatians, starting in chapter 8. Excuse me, there is no 8th chapter. Starting in chapter 4, verse 8. Formerly, Paul says, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to those weak and worthless principles, elementary principles of the world? Whose slaves you want to be once more? So without a little context, this is confusing. So, so let me explain really quickly what's going on. This is after the Gentiles have started coming to Christ in droves, right? Like the, the people outside of the nation of Israel are becoming believers, and amazing things are happening. And the church is really growing, but a lot of the Jewish Christians were getting upset. Because these dirty Gentiles, well, they're getting saved too, right? Because... Those guys don't follow the law of Moses. How can they be saved? And so a group of them called, called Judaizers, um, they did not worship Judy Garland. Um, they, they, got, they got really militant about this. They're saying you can't be a Christian unless you're a Jew first, which meant if you're male, circumcision. It meant eating kosher and, you know, just all that yada yada that goes with it, the whole nine yards. But Paul is saying, eh, wrong. That is not the case. 
See, he's writing to the church in Galatia who they were in danger of buying into this lie that they weren't really Christians because they weren't following the Old Testament law. But the Old Testament law really has kind of three portions. Those 611 laws fall under three categories. Two of them are repeated. It's 611. I'm being corrected over here. Corrected incorrectly. Just playing. Uh, anyway, so the, the Old Testament has moral law. The Old Testament has ceremonial law. And the Old Testament has dietary law. Okay? And according to Jesus' teaching, only the gist of the moral law is still in effect. So Paul is saying, you guys need to stop trying to earn righteousness in God's sight by following rules. You're righteous by grace through faith, not by perfect obedience to the 611 or 13 laws. That's not how you get your, your righteousness. At the beginning of the next chapter, Paul writes, for freedom... Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. That's my favorite graduation scripture, by the way. Um, what Paul, really? Nobody? It wasn't funny or you didn't get it? <laughs> wasn't funny. Okay, good to know. Um, so I'll just leave that one off. Scratch that one from my list. Paul is saying a simple, Christians aren't under the law. We're under grace. So we are no longer subject to the Old Testament law, except where the New Testament agrees with it. Okay, so we're, we're set free from the expectations of the Old Testament law. Because Jesus Christ himself completely fulfilled the law. Remember, he said, I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. He perfectly fulfilled God's law, 100% in the spirit of the law. And because of that, the old law is no longer our master. And likewise, neither is human legalism. This is a big problem with the Pharisees. And, and it's, it's a problem in certain church cultures, too, today. You know, the, the, the Pharisees tried so hard to be righteous by following the rules. They actually went above and beyond God's law, and they set their own laws. They built a fence, so to speak, around God's law because they, they wanted to have that that ability to, to say, we're going to stand so far back to make sure that we don't break any of these rules. And see, this is a problem. Creating rules for yourself that aren't God's laws and then trying to enforce that on everyone, that, that doesn't work out well. I mean, picture you're driving down the highway. Speed limit's 70, okay? Let's say it's a busy highway, and you decide, I don't want to break this law, so I'm going to go 46. Yeah. What's going to happen? You're going to get run over. I've heard it described like, like being a boulder in the middle of a stream and everything's around you, right? You're going to cause an accident. It's dangerous. So as Christians, we're set free from trying to earn righteousness for ourselves, either by the Old Testament law or by our own attempts to be righteous by our works. And see, that's really encouraging when you consider that we can't. Earn righteousness for ourselves. We can't do it. You can't be good enough for God. Only Jesus Christ was. And righteousness is by faith. And it's a gift of God through Christ. All right. So what else do we as believers find freedom from? Okay. We're going to read from, uh, from Romans 6 here. 
that starts just a verse or two after our opening passage from this morning. This is one of the places where Paul compares and contrasts freedom with slavery, which, which brings up a point that it's going to step on your toes if you're one of those like, ah, I'm a bootstrapped kind of guy. You know, you feel real self-sufficient. This is probably going to bug you a little bit. But starting in verse 16, Paul writes, do you not know? That if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one that you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. You say, wait, what? You mean I'm not as independent as I think? You know, one of the greatest struggles for the American Christian is to understand that freedom isn't about throwing off every yoke and every shackle and every chain, because unfortunately, that's impossible. We're all going to serve something. We'll come back to that. But thanks be to God, he continues, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves to righteousness. Set free from sin. Slaves to righteousness. So, okay, so... Crossing over to the side of righteousness means that we're able to experience freedom from sin's power. From sin's dominion, from sin's control. And I don't know about you, um, I can make some guesses. <laughs> but I will tell you that personally, I find this to be extremely encouraging because I am a really messed up person. Really messed up. We all are. Every one of us. Sinners that are lost without our Savior. We are messed up. You know, just this past week, we were on a mission trip. I wanted to have the kids come up and talk about what they did, but several of them aren't here today, so maybe next week. Um, just give you a little, just a little bit of what happened. But just this past week, um, when I was with these kids, I had this really, I guess it was the week before, but when I wrote this, it was just this past week. So I had this really embarrassing encounter with my pride on this trip. And, and I'm not going to go into all the details, but it resulted in a Holy Spirit conviction. And I'm not just, not just like that, oh, kind of conviction, but I mean like the bleary-eyed, you know, I'm crying my eyes out, you know, a heart just broken, Holy Spirit conviction. And I went and apologized to people because of my behavior. And I will tell you guys, that I'm a 45-year-old man, and I'm your pastor, but I make big mistakes. And praise God that the Holy Spirit will convict me really, really quickly. That's one good thing about that, I promise you. The, the sooner the Holy Spirit convicts you, the better. But I had to go make that right. Now, Jesus Christ died for my sins, and he already made it right in the eyes of God. But I had to go make it right with those people. None of them thought it was as big of a deal as I did, but that's okay because the Holy Spirit told me this is a big deal. Do you ever find yourself in that Romans 7 conundrum? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Where like I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I want to do and da 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 da. What's the disconnect there? Paul talks about the flesh and the spirit, right? The disconnect is between the corrupt, sinful nature that lives in me and that lives in you and the new creation in Christ Jesus that you and I are now. 
That's the disconnect. It, it, and I'm, I'm trying not to get too far you know, ahead of myself here, but, but this is really important for us to, to wrap our brains around. It's not about, listen, I want you to hear this, okay? It's not about being perfect. It's about being perfected. Did you catch that? It's not about being perfect. It's about being perfected by the blood of Christ. In real time, it, it, it's an incremental battle. I mean, we're scrambling uphill in the process of sanctification. And guys, it is painful. I know this. But in God's view, in the long game view, it's already a done deal. Do you understand that? If you are in Christ Jesus, you are perfected in the sight of God already. You know, Hebrews 10.14 is, is, is the, the little tagline on my emails. It says, he has made perfect forever. I want you to understand that. He has made perfect temporarily, no, <laughs> forever. Those who are being sanctified. By one sacrifice, he, that's Jesus Christ, has made perfect forever those who are being sanctified. That, that means those whom God is making holy. That's what, that's what justification is, okay? Is, is, is those who are seen by God as perfected. Those who are being made holy by the Spirit of, of the Lord living in them. For us, it's a process. For him, it is a done deal. We need to understand this, okay? As believers, we are both gradually and, and in some sense instantly freed from sin's dominion when we turn to Christ in repentant faith. Until we walk in that freedom, though, we're, we're like a guy sitting in a prison cell. And the door's open. And we're still just sitting there. Do you realize that? If we're not walking in that freedom, we're still living as captives. Okay, so to recap, believers have freedom from the curse of the law and the destructive you know, type of, of, of legalism, and we're freed from the power of sin. But what do we have freedom in? I'm going to tell you, folks, um, I struggled with whether I ought to start with this point, <laughs> but I always feel like salvation means more when you know what you're being saved from, so that's why we're doing it in this order. In John 8, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. Now, that could be incredibly discouraging, right? That in itself is not an encouraging thing because we're all sinners, right? Remember, though, remember that true Christians can and do experience freedom from sin, at least from the practice and the dominion of sin. But how? Jesus gives us the answer right here. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, truly you are free indeed. Who's the son he's talking about here? Jesus Christ. Is himself, right? Yes, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one in whom we have freedom from sin. 
by repentant faith, by his forgiveness. We're forgiven from, we don't have to deal with, with being subject anymore to the dominion, to the ultimate control of sin, but we also are given his power to overcome sin. So, so, so wait now, you, does that mean a Christian won't ever sin? No. <laughs> we know that's not true. 1 John 1 and 2 are really, really, you know, it's really obvious about that. So, so we know that's not the case, but remember, he said anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Now, does that mean anyone who ever sins? Thank you. No, it does not mean anyone who ever sins. It means a person who rebelliously chooses sin over obedience to Christ. I mean, who's ever practiced to get good at something? At least one of you. Good. That, that's good. Few. <laughs> so, that explains a lot. No, uh, it, if, if, if you've ever played sports or played a musical instrument or, you know, whatever the case may be, you practice something. That means to regularly engage in that action in order to get better at it, to become more efficient, to become more effective with it. To practice sin is the opposite of practicing righteousness. So, so we're not just talking about somebody who, who, who makes a mistake in judgment and then beats himself up over it and maybe cries and then says, okay, I'm done. I'm going to try to avoid that mistake in the future. You know, what he's talking about here is a person who wakes up and says, I'm going to ignore God's will today and do what I want to do, and I don't care. That's a person who practices sin. This is not how any Christian should ever behave or think. But how do we keep from falling back into those sinful patterns, those habits that Jesus has delivered us from? It's not easy, but it is simple. We must become slaves to righteousness. So what does that mean? It means that we learn to practice righteousness instead of sin. Okay, so what's that look like? We're going to get there. In the last set of subpoints. But for now, just, just recognize the Bible says very clearly that everyone is a slave to something. Okay, remember Romans 6. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. Okay? There's no in-between. There's no, well, I live for myself. I'm not a slave to anybody. Listen, if you're living for yourself, you're a slave to yourself. You're a slave to sin. You're a slave to the flesh. Okay? And if you're living for a Lord, for the Lord, not a Lord. If you're living for the Lord, then you're a slave to righteousness. And that's going to be apparent in your lifestyle. That's really important, right? If you claim to be a slave to righteousness, we should see that, right? Recognizing whether you've truly been born again. This is important. Trying to determine, like, look at your life. Am, am I truly born again by the Holy Spirit of God? You don't base that on, on a hiccup or a setback. You base that on what is revealed in the overall trajectory of your life. You truly have faith in Christ if you are walking in obedience. If the trajectory of your life is pointed toward righteousness. If the trajectory of your life is still pointed in selfishness and sin, then you need to reevaluate and say, am I truly a Christian? Do I really have faith in Jesus Christ? 
Because remember, faith isn't just checking boxes. All right. If you're in Christ, then there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is such an incredible, a powerful statement. And I'm going to keep going, but we're going to come back around the end of the message here. But so, so look for it. For the law, he says, of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So Jesus Christ, again, is the person that we find our freedom in, but we also find freedom in the law of the spirit of life. And I want to attempt to define that because it sounds a little vague without the context, okay? The the law of the spirit of life is what is lived out by born-again believers. I mean, it's it's visible in, in our words and in the actions of those who have been set free by grace through faith from the Old Testament law and the power of sin. The law of the spirit of life is the power of the Holy Spirit of God made manifest in the Christian. Okay? Not even, I'm not talking about, you know, the, the, the speaking in tongues and miracles and stuff. like. I'm talking about the everyday stuff. I'm talking about loving our neighbors and strangers and our enemies. Still convinced there is no way in which we are more Christ-like than when we're loving our enemies. Treating others the way we want to be treated. Glorifying God in the midst of trials. Resisting temptation. Taking every thought captive for Christ. These things are are what we should be doing. And if you're on this path, then you probably already know that you are not capable of doing it on your own power. Right? Right? If you've ever tried to do this, look, you're just not. But God is. God is capable of working this in you. And scripture tells us that he who began a good work in you is faithful to what? Complete it. And those who are in Christ Jesus receive his Holy Spirit, which empowers us to be obedient. And then we're not doing it in our, in our, our own finite strength. We're doing it in his infinite strength. Strength. And really, guys, I think this is what Jesus was getting at. You know, in Matthew chapter 11, when uh, he makes the, the comment, he, he talks about taking up his yoke. You remember that? He says, uh, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How could his burden be light? Same guy talking about taking up a cross. His burden can be light because we're not taking it up on our own. We're being yoked together with Jesus. That means we're we're connected side by side to him and we have access to his, his unlimited, immeasurable strength. And quick reminder, if you don't like the picture of being under a yoke, you know, if that, if that chafes you, if that bothers your pride, then please consider once again, you will always wear a yoke. Always. You will wear someone's yoke. Even those who believe they are completely unencumbered by any morality or expectation or anything, those people are in servitude to someone or something. I, I met a guy named Byron a while back. Judah might remember this. Yep. Um, I, I sold him something on Craigslist, and, and he, he, of course, in his conversation, went around talking about Jesus because... Of course. And see, I told him I served God, and he said, I'll remember this probably for the rest of my life. He said, I serve fun. 
That is one of the saddest things I've ever heard another man say. I serve fun, he said. What, what an awful... This young man thought he had the world on a string, but his soul was bound up in slavery to his flesh. I serve fun. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Again, we're all slaves to something. So, so back to the point. Our freedom... From the curse of the law and from sin is inextricably bound up with our freedom in Christ and in the power of his spirit. And that raises a valid question then. You say, well, wait a second. I get that we're set free from slavery to sin. Okay. But if, if we're slaves to Christ, then how can we be free in him? That's a good question. So we're freed from sin. We're freed in Christ. But what is it that we are freed to? What do we have freedom to? If it's not unlimited me time, right? I mean, what is the point of being set free from one kind of servitude to another? Well, the obvious reply is, which master would you prefer? Right? You know, the, the obvious answer to me is the loving Savior, <laughs> not sin, right? You guys awake? Okay. But choosing... One master over another is not very specific. And it's a good thing, church, that the Bible tells us exactly what it looks like to be a servant of Christ. Okay? And there's two of the best examples we could probably come up with through the whole, the whole scriptures, apart from Jesus himself, are the apostles Peter and Paul. You know, Peter, he, he started out pretty rocky. And, but then he ends up becoming this, this amazing pillar of the church and kind of the foremost among the disciples of Jesus. And then Paul, who is the greatest missionary the world has ever seen, who, by the way, had the chutzpah to make the statement, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. That takes guts, you know. These two guys, all right, each of them has something very specific to say about how we should use our freedom. Okay, so Peter in his first epistle says this, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up. That word literally means cloak for evil, but living as servants of God. See, many people back back then, just just like today, were using freedom in Christ as an excuse to, to serve themselves. They indulged in sex and in gluttony and in, in you know, drink and in arrogance. And, and Peter's saying, listen, don't use your freedom like that. That's not what it's for. It's not for getting drunk. It's for serving God. The Greek word here is, is translated servants in that passage. That is the same word that's usually translated slaves. Live as servants of slaves of God. So we are to wholeheartedly serve God on his terms, right? Not on our terms, on God's terms. But here's, here's what's so cool about that. When we're serving God, it really is fun. I hope Byron figures that out, honestly. B being where God wants you to be, when he reveals things in the moment, it is a rush. <laughs> when he shows you something amazing, when he puts you in the right position to bless somebody, uh, when, when you end up being part of his grand plan for someone else, that is one of the most powerful wonderful experiences that a human being can have, and it is truly fun. 
When we're slaves to sin, you guys, our, our, our appetite is always there. It never abates. It's always that we're always craving. We're never full, you know, but when we're in Christ, it's different. There's, we find joy. We find a, a deep satisfaction in knowing that we are serving our Heavenly Father with our lives. You know, if you've ever read the Bible, you've probably heard or read the scripture that says, hey, you know, if I were hungry, this is God talking. He says, if I were hungry, I wouldn't ask you for food because I own the cattle on a thousand hills. And so, so it's not like we can ever do anything for God that he can't do for himself, but he still chooses to use us. And there's one really important way that we serve God. You know what it is? We're going we're gonna to read it here. Let's read what Paul wrote in Galatians 5.13. He says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as the opportunity for the flesh. There's that warning again. But through love, serve one another. Through love, serve one another. This isn't supposed to be just out of a sense of duty or obligation, but out of love. And we show our love for God in, in, in our service to Him. And when we serve one another, I do believe God loves to see His kids getting along and loving each other. And the most basic form of love really is in serving, in helping, sacrificing one's own desires for the sake of another. And, then, and here, here's the kicker, okay? When you're not used to that, when, when, when giving up some of your wants to meet to meet someone else's need when you first start doing that, that's hard, right? It is because we're, we're innately selfish. That's how human beings are. But, but when you start being obedient to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, when we start to live in, in the freedom to love people by serving them, guys, it becomes addictive. It really does. And it's a good addiction. We start finding joy in it. Like, I mean, talking about real joy, not, not the fake high that we, that we get when we sin, but then we feel like garbage later. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about the real joy that we get from the Lord. I mean, guys, this, this is what we're created for. Remember, you know, Ephesians 2, everybody's probably familiar with, with Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, right? For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is a gift of God, right? This is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one may boast. But then there's that wonderful scripture right after that that says, for we are God's workmanship. That Greek word could mean masterpiece. We are God's pinnacle, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he prepared for us beforehand in order that we might walk in them. So, so guys, that's really why we're here. In fact, if you've ever asked the question, what is the meaning of life? I think the answer is to serve God and serve one another in love because that really is the fulfillment of the great commandment, right? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. There it is. This is what love looks like. Service. Helping. Oh, and by the way, that, that's, that's, uh, that's something that, that, if we're honest with ourselves, I think we'll recognize that we have a perfect example of what love looks like. In scripture, don't we? I mean, that the Son of God would, would, would relinquish his grip on the glories of heaven and come down here and be born of a virgin and then die on a cross for our sins? 
for his enemies, that's love. That's real love. And by the way, that, this is a bonus for you guys that are taking notes. We're not just freed from sin's power. Because of what Jesus did, we're freed from its penalty. You understand that? It's eternal penalty. We may have some consequences in this life, that's true. But when it comes to the wrath of God, Jesus paid it all. He, he died as the, the perfect atoning sacrifice, taking upon, listen, Jesus took upon himself both the sins of the world and the wrath of God that burns as hot as the fire of hell against those sins. Jesus took that upon himself. And if we, if we believe on him, if we put our faith in him and we trust him to raise us from the dead just as God physically resurrected Christ, then we are justified. That means we are declared righteous by our faith. And remember what we, we read a few minutes ago. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I told you we'd come back to this. My friend, let me ask you this. Do you want to live without condemnation? Yes. Me too. Do you, do you want to experience forgiveness for your sins? Me too. And you have if you are in Christ. But only if you are in Christ. I'll close with the scripture. This is from earlier this morning. He himself bore his sins in his body, bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might have unlimited me time. No, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And how did the Lord accomplish this magnificent feat? By his wounds, you have been healed. Friends, the blood of Christ was poured out, not spilled. It was shed so that you and I wouldn't have to spend eternity apart from God. Please do not ignore the draw of the Holy Spirit. If you, if you believe on Jesus Christ this morning, and you've not been obedient to his word, I'm going to tell you what to do. Accept that he paid the price to purchase your freedom from the power and penalty of sin. And understand that you are not your own. Scripture says you were bought with a price. Then recognize that you can only have freedom in him. And that is through faith in his death and resurrection. And then use that freedom to obey what he commands. And it starts with repentance. That means turning away from sin. Okay? And Danny's about to play a song. And I want you, if you've not done this before, come forward as Danny plays. And, and confess publicly in front of this body that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then submit to immersion in water into the forgiveness of sins in the body of Christ as the word commands. And then be raised up to newness of life in Jesus. And we will walk alongside you in your journey to help you be faithful to God. And we'll expect you to do the same for us. Amen, church? Amen. We're in this together. It can start now. It can start today. Your life in Christ can start today. 
he's calling your move.